Hello, everybody. Welcome back. I'm Ben Swinburne, Morgan Stanley's media analyst. Good afternoon. Um, quick uh, disclosure statement. Please note that important disclosures, including my personal holdings disclosures and Morgan Stanley disclosures, all appear on the Morgan Stanley Public website. Uh, we're really excited to welcome back to the conference virtually this year, uh, Paul Vogel, the CFO of Spotify. Uh, Paul, it's great to see you again. I feel like it's only been a week, but I, I miss you. Uh, thanks for being here with us. Appreciate it. No, I appreciate it, Ben. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So listen, we, um, as most folks know, uh, a week ago today, you guys had your stream on event, which was really your first um, sort of multi-stakeholder presentation externally since the direct listing, you know, three years ago. So there was a lot that you guys went through in a relatively short period of time. What do you want us on the investment side to take, to take away from last Monday's event? Yeah, um, so I'd say a, a couple of things. I think for you know for starters, you know if you take a, a step back, just to sort of reiterate kind of where we're coming from, we we said we want to be the largest you know global streaming audio player, and that's sort of the mission, and that's sort of at a very high level what we were trying to to reinforce. And through that, it was it was highlighting the tools we um, were developing for creators and really leaning into the the creators uh, both on the music side and the non music side, uh, as well as on the consumer side. And so if you think about um, what we announced and what we we're excited to announce, it was, you know, obviously the launch of new markets, right? So 85 new markets, bringing us to 178 new markets. Um, so that was number one. Some new products like Hi-Fi, uh, new content initiatives. So, you know, things with, you know, DC Comics and obviously a lot of, a lot of press around the, uh, the podcast with President Obama and Bruce Springsteen. Um, and then a number of creator tools, um, both on the music side as well as on the, on the podcasting side. Um, and I'd say probably, you know, lastly is the, the, Developments on the advertising side and the, the audience network we're we're uh, developing um, and and bringing to the, to the forefront there. So for us, you know, to your point, we we know we hadn't done anything public facing at, at this um, scale. It was definitely uh, more of an event geared towards the creator community and the consumer community than specifically the investor community, which was you know our last um, big public thing was really an investor day. This was sort of you know hopefully the investors got a lot out of it, but it was also really to speak to all the things we're doing on the creator side, uh, the content side, and the consumer side. No, that makes sense. You guys covered a lot of stuff across a lot of different areas. I wanted to start maybe on the 80 markets that you launched or are launching uh, right now. Um, I think you guys accelerated that launch, and I was curious if you could talk about why. And also, how do we think about uh, the benefits of Spotify's uh, results from these markets, maybe compared to prior launches that you guys have done? Yeah, I would say I'm not sure if we, uh, you know, accelerated. I think we've always had a plan, and, and you know, and sometimes um, – depending on which markets we go in, sometimes we do them one at a time, sometimes we do them in clusters. But I think at this point in time, we feel like it was, it was the right time to sort of go all in on the, the, number, of, the number of markets we could, we could launch at, at one time. You know, for us, it's a couple of things. I think one is, as I mentioned at the outset, you know, our goal is to, um, to have a billion um, users and have over a million creators live off their art, right? And that's part of our mission statement. And so in order to get to, you know, a billion, billion users, we need to be, you know, everywhere uh, we can be. Um, so that was... Um, that was really it. And then, you know, you'll see, you know, hopefully it will impact um, over time our user, our user uh, growth and then our subscriber growth as well. Um, it's very, you know, different types of markets. Some of them are bigger, some are smaller. Lots of them, you know, have Internet penetration that is you know, some of the fastest uh, in the world, but also not as developed as some of our more mature markets. And so there'll be a combination of growth in those markets, you know, seeing the, the Internet penetration, and mobile penetration grow and then watching us grow right along with it. 
So do you think, at least in the early parts, let's say the next 12, 24 months, this is largely an MAU tailwind versus a premium user tailwind? How would you think about that potential? Yeah, I would say uh, probably yes. I mean, as as you can imagine, in most markets, even in the more developed markets, you kind of lead with users. And and as we've talked about, our ability to convert um, free users into paying users has been one of our strengths. Um, There's nothing for us to – in history that would – in any way make us think that that wouldn't be the same. Now, obviously, a lot of these markets are different. As I talked about, they're less mature, less developed. So how long it takes, we'll have to see. But you never know, right? We, we obviously added, not obviously, but we did add a lot more um, users or, and subscribers in Russia uh, much faster than we thought we would. So there are some markets where um, they're not really, uh, you know, that can really change. Um, and then we'll see. There's a lot of markets with um, uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of growth potential. Makes sense. Probably the other area that I got the most inbounds uh, regarding last week beyond the 80 markets and the impact on 21 is around your gross margin commentary. So obviously, you know, that's a big debate on the stock and you raised uh, the high end of your guidance, long term guidance to 40 percent gross margins. Can you sort of unpack for us if we go back to the direct listing and now today, you know, three years later, uh, what is driving that higher margin outlook in your mind? Yeah, so for us, it's a, it's a couple of things. I think, one, if you look at the, at the ranges, um, you know, the low end hasn't changed. I think a lot of low end is kind of things we've talked about and, and thought about, and there's really nothing there. And so to, to your point, what do we do is we sort of raise the, the upper end of, of that range. Um, and for us, it's just the optionality of all the new initiatives and all the investments um, that we see over the next three to five years. And so when you think about um, the opportunity in podcasts, and when you think about the opportunities in, a, in an ad network, right, you know, a couple of years ago, there really wasn't as much of a thought around us being and, and creating an advertising network. And now we think that's obviously something we're developing and building. And we think, you know, if it goes really well, there could be upside there to, um, you know, to margins and, and initiatives like that. And there's obviously other things we're working on that we didn't even announce this dream on um, in terms of products or innovations or, or, you know, keep using the same word, but sort of optionality, the types of things we're doing. So I think we feel good about that lower end and being able to, to sort of hit that lower end, um, which is what we, we, we've talked about for the last couple of years, sort of a long-term um, very, very doable, very realistic margin of that 30%. And we think with all of the initiatives we have and a lot of the things that we haven't even announced yet, we think there's a potential for us to, um, you know, to maybe even do better than we thought, you know, when you look back two or three years ago. Okay. And I'd imagine long-term is where we're going to stay from a timing point of view and anything more specific for us. Yeah, we're, we're going to stay long-term. We're going to stay long-term, but, but we, do, we, we, you know, but we have modeled it out. I think some, there was, you know, some questions about how much of this is, um, is just kind of sort of pie in this guy thinking how much have we actually modeled out. And, and I can tell you, we've modeled out all different scenarios. We've modeled out, um, you know, long-term opportunities. And so again, whether or not we hit the low end or the, or the upper end, we'll have to see how things play out over, over the long Um, but we have been thoughtful about the types of things that could drive, drive us to the lower end of that range and things that could drive us to the higher end of that range. Okay. And, uh, now that you didn't have enough going on last week, but you also, uh, raised some money, I wanted to ask you, you and I haven't chatted about this since you guys uh, launched the cap or raised the capital, but you brought in about a billion three of exchangeable debt. Um, And you, as you've noted, you have a lot of cash. You had have a lot of cash on the balance sheet. You have a two billion plus liquid investment in Tencent uh, music. Uh, You're free cash flow positive. What do we take? What is what, what should the market take from this capital raise, which significantly increased your, you know, wallet? Yeah, I mean, I think um, the way we think about it is um, we're being opportunistic in an area where we think it makes sense. I think when we look again at over the long term, we see a number of opportunities for growth and innovation. Uh, and for us, it was really just ensuring that we had, you know, the capacity to 
you know, execute against whatever it is we see over the intermediate and longer term. And there's nothing in the in the near term um, that necessarily uh, necessitate, uh, necessitate us doing it right now. But our view is we obviously uh, want to be the largest player um, in the space. Uh, we know there's lots of opportunities for us to invest. Um, we've been obviously acquisitive in the past. Who knows if that continues? We obviously have lots of internal um, uh, investments we want to make as well. And so for us, it was we felt like we could um, have a successful offering, strengthen our balance sheet to the point where whether it's now, whether it's you know two, three years, we'd be happy to have that cash on the balance sheet. And we'll be thoughtful about it. I think I will you know, continue to think about what's the optimal capital structure for the business. Um, we've gotten the question before about, you know, to your point, the fact that we have you know, almost $2 billion of cash pri- prior to the, the, the convertible um, note, uh, and we're free cash flow positive. And so we've talked about sort of wanting an optimal capital structure. So fully, fully recognize that. But I think we looked at it and said um, the market was pretty conducive um, for us to be able to, in, to ensure that over the next three, five, seven years, we have the opportunity to to invest in however we want. Okay, makes sense. Um, let's go back then uh, a few weeks prior to your results and your guidance. Um, you guys had a really strong 2020. It was an interesting year, particularly with COVID. It's sort of still, I think, a debate as to whether COVID helped or hurt uh, 2020 results. But I'd love if you could talk about kind of what you take from last year uh, and how the business performed and then talk about the 2021 user guidance, which is obviously for a deceleration, that's obviously an area that investors are quite focused on as well. Yeah. So um, let's start a couple of things. So clearly we think it was both uh, uh, helpful and, and a hindrance um, in a couple, couple ways. Obviously, um, we talked about from the advertising side, you know, Q2 and Q3, obviously we, we um, saw the impact like a lot of people did from the, um, <coughs> excuse me, uh, from the, from the advertising side. When you look at it from a user perspective, um, we did beat our expectations from, from where we started the year to the end of the year, both on the user side, the, uh, the MAU side, and on the, the premium side. When we look at the premium side, um, I think we talked about in Q4, some of that we think obviously came from Russia, where we said we did better than expected. But we still beat by about 4 to $5 million the number of subscribers we had at the end of the year. We, our guidance range implied sort of a $150 million plus or minus when we started the year, and we ended up you know, finishing at 155 And so um, it's a pretty significant increase. At the time, it was hard to sort of isolate anything in particular. We didn't have one quarter. I know there was a, some other uh, companies in the subscription business that had sort of one quarter where just kind of blew through the roof and everything was sort of – we didn't have that, but we sort of steadily beat every quarter. And so the question is how much of that was just better execution, how much of that was the content, how much of that was podcasting, or how much was maybe a tailwind from just streaming in general doing well in, in a COVID world. So it's, it's hard for us to completely disaggregate all of them, but I think we definitely feel like that there's a tailwind from a user perspective – even though there was probably a headwind on the uh, on the advertising side, and then I think the other thing I would I would probably highlight is just um, honestly how resilient the, the team was um, and how unbelievably productive we were. I mean, we didn't miss a beat in terms of productivity, in terms of measuring the productivity of new products and, and getting things done. Um, again, obviously the numbers came through, which is a testament to the team being able to execute against all the things uh, that we wanted to do. Um, and so it was it was really. Um, uh, it was really exciting from that standpoint. It was obviously very disruptive, but the fact that we were able to execute the way we did was 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 really great. Um, and and I think the only thing I, I would say, and I think I touched on this on Q4, is um, you know we have been sort of thinking about, and I'm sure we'll get to this later, about price increases and, and how to think about price increases. We did push back any discussions around price increases throughout 2020 because of the the economic environment. We just didn't think it was the right thing to do, you know, last year. So that's probably one business decision that we got 
got pushed into, you know, kind of late in the year. And then obviously we, we made some changes early this year uh, on the pricing side. Yeah, no, you, you, that, that makes sense. I mean, I was going to ask you about ARPU in general, and maybe before we get to pricing, I believe one of the drivers of user growth and also ARPU pressure has been mix, right, to family plan and duo. Uh, how much of, of a maybe mix shift back or at least a, a moderation of that mix shift is impacting your user guide in, in 21? Um, I'm not sure it's really impacting the user guide per se. So, you know, I think um, – you know, there's just, I think we go back to what we said earlier. There's just a lot of uncertainty with respect to, again, was COVID a tailwind or a headwind in 2020? And if it persists, and I know we're all very hopeful um, that things are going to get better by the middle to the end of the year. We were talking about this offline right before. Um, you know, we're super hopeful that, you know, this time next year we're all, we're all back in person. Um, but we don't know. And so I think there's definitely some uncertainty with respect to, you know, how these markets evolve. Some of them are going to get hit, have gotten hit worse economically than others. So there's some uncertainty in there. Um, there's obviously some uncertainty for us with respect to the market launches and how successful they will be. It's a lot of markets um, all at once. To your earlier question, we've never done it at this scale before. And so there's definitely going to be um, a balance between what's reasonable and where the upside is in terms of the, the MAU numbers for, uh, for 2021. We'll have to, um, so we'll have to see how all, all that comes in. Um, and then on the subscriber side, as we talked about, um, last year was the biggest year we've ever had, right? We had 30 million net subscribers. Um, it was two million, two three million higher than the year before, which is higher than the year before that. And so there's some of it was, you know, how much did we pull forward um, in the 2020s? We talked about again, Russia being one case where we know we pulled some forward there. And the question is, did we pull forward in other markets? Um, there was no one market where you could highlight it and say we 100% pull forward here. There was just a lot of markets where we did better than we thought by a, you know a little bit to, to a decent amount. Yeah, yeah. I mean the pull forward. Uh... Uh, sort of question is an unknown, right, for everybody in, in every business. Um, but it sounds like, you know, certainly we talked about this on the earnings call, that you and Daniel don't see uh, net ads have having necessarily peaked uh, last year, that this is – you're going through a process of reopening effectively. Yeah, yeah no, 100%. I think um, – yeah, like I said, I think it's just um, – we feel good about how we exited the year. Um, we feel good about the, the pipeline, and we'll just have to see. And, and the thing is, you know, nothing – nothing ever goes up in an exact straight line, right? Sometimes things inflect up, sometimes they inflect down a little bit. I think over the next, you know, two, three, five years, we feel are really, really good about where we're headed. Um, last year was obviously one of those years that inflected up a little bit in terms of growth, and we'll see kind of how the next couple of years yeah. go. So, you, you know, Daniel talked on the call about three different ways to drive revenue, and one of those was raising prices, which is now, you know, the third leg of the stool, whatever the analogy was. But, um uh, but that's clearly an area you guys are now going, uh, in fact, 25 markets. So talk a little bit about the decision to move forward with broad-based pricing growth, and what can you tell us about, you know, what the data tells you? Because I would imagine you can test quite a bit um, up to a point. But, you know, w what was the thought process around this? Yeah, so, um, see, look, our number one goal will continue to be gaining share and gaining market share. And we, we still think there's a huge opportunity and um, – uh, we're early, only in the early innings of growth in terms of streaming and, and streaming audio. And so 100%, that's still our goal. But with that in mind, we definitely feel like we have added a tremendous amount of value into the ecosystem. Um, you know, 70 million tracks, over 2 million podcasts, a lot of original and exclusive content now. We haven't really changed prices at all um, in 10 years. Um, and so the thinking was, you know, is there an opportunity to um, be thoughtful about uh, ARPU, be thoughtful about raising prices that wouldn't in any way limit our ability to continue to grow? 
um, but does um, sort of um, differentiate some of the, the product enhancements and content that we've added to, to the platform. Um, and so we've done, um, you know, a number of markets for testing. You know, so far the testing has all gone well. You know, we feel really good about, you know, what we've seen both from uh, changes in, in gross intake uh, and changes in churn. Everything is sort of, you know, in line to, you know, to better than expected depending on the market um, for the most part. Um, and so we feel good about it. And we'll continue to test and learn. Um, you know, the, we get the question all the time, why those markets? I think some of it is, um, there's all sorts of reasons. Some is markets where we feel like, um, like the Nordics where we had the ability just to, to take the prices. We've been there so long um, and they're, you know, fairly mature markets where we have a really, really high market share. Other markets, it's about sort of testing different types of markets. You know, you have to sort of think about different types of markets and testing different markets to know what works and what doesn't doesn't work. Um, and then we'll, we'll take it on from there. And so, um, you know, we have not you know, ruled in or ruled out any market in terms of price increases. And so I would say the opportunity to, you know, to think about pricing is available to us, you know, globally. And we'll just have to see, you know, what works and, and how the testing goes. And why family plan is kind of the primary area where you're raising prices versus premium. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it was just, you know, there's a, a tremendous amount of value in the, in the family plan. And we saw now that we have duo, it's a little bit of a differentiation between the standard plan and the duo and, and family plan. Um, and also we think just in general, it's just tremendous value. So even, you know, in, in some markets raising it by, you know, a dollar or two, you know, it's still when you have, you know, three, four, you know, up to six accounts, it's still really great value for what you're getting. And so that's, that's been the reason. But again, it doesn't mean we're going to rule out um, price increases or, or, you know, changes in, in, in other products. But in most markets, it has been family plan to start. Yeah. And, you know, for better or worse, people are going to compare you to other subscription services that raise prices. It's typically done not on a one-time basis, but there's a cadence to it. Anything you would suggest we think about for Spotify over, say, a five-year period, how much you might raise prices in a given market or how frequently? Not yeah, I think it's tough to say. I think we're still, I think earlier in the adoption curve of, of streaming audio, I think we still think there's even more of a, a land grab and an opportunity. Um, and so not, nothing to add. I think a lot of it right now is just testing and learning. Okay. Let's talk about podcasting. Um, I thought it was interesting on the call, at least the way it sounded to me, Paul, is you guys have had this hypothesis that podcasting was a powerful growth driver differentiator for Spotify. And that hypothesis seems to have proven out in your mind. It's, it's less obvious to us outside the company, as I'm sure you can appreciate, than inside. What else can you tell us about what you guys have seen that suggests, you know, podcasting is an area you really want to double or triple down in? Yeah, I'd like to say a couple things. One is, you know, obviously we think it's an area where we can have original and exclusive content. Um, we don't think that's really hasn't been the case in, in music, um, um, nor should it be really. But in, in the case of podcasting, we think there's an opportunity to have um, some differentiated content. So that's number one. Um, number two is we've seen the growth, right? So, you know, we're now 25% of our, our MAU. And um, I think you've asked me in the past, well, it's only 25%, but I'd say, yeah, it's 25% up from, you know, 14%, you know, four or five quarters ago. So we've seen the growth um, in terms of the number of, of users who are engaging with podcast content. And then the interesting thing is, I think we went, if you go back about four or five quarters, I think it was actually the, the, the last quarter um, when, when Barry was still around and we talked about, um, that we saw a high correlation between um, podcast growth and better engagement and better retention, those types of things. But we weren't at that point in time able to, to prove out causality. And since then, we've done a lot of work. We've done a lot of testing. And we're, we're starting to believe that we cannot prove out, prove out cause, causality, that having podcasts and having users engage with podcasts actually increases their LTV. Um, and so that's what we're getting to. So we still have more work to do to prove that out and prove out the magnitude of, of how impactful that can be. 
but we feel good about about the the impact it's having on the on the business overall. Okay, so when in, when investors ask me, you know, if podcasting is working, why aren't we seeing faster user growth or X Y Z? It sounds like the answer is really just the, the the size of the podcast engagement pool is just relatively small compared to the overall business. Well, so, um, well, I'd say a couple things. I think a it's growing, but I also also would say like our users grew really, really fast last year. I mean, we had 30 million subs and I think it was like 75 million net MAU. So I think we actually had pretty good user growth last year. Now, how much is attributed to, you know, tailwinds from streaming and podcasting and UI improvements and, and all, I mean, it's tough to disaggregate all of that, but I feel like in general, holistically, our, our product just keeps getting better and better, which is why you saw actually the growth accelerate, you know, last year from the net additions, both on the user side uh, and the, subscri uh, the subscription side. Let's talk about your investment in podcasting, particularly on the programming side. You've got some pretty big commitments that you've made uh, on the content front. You mentioned uh, originals and exclusives. Exclusives you got to you know you got to pay for. Um, how do you guys think about the right model for you in your relationship with uh, podcast creators? Because you've bought stuff, you've licensed stuff. Uh, I'm sure there's other models I'm not thinking of. What, what, how do you look at it from the CFO point of view? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a couple of ways to think about it, right? So one is simply what is it doing for Spotify, right? And so that's a question of the, the two areas of simply is it going to grow advertising? Are we going to have more inventory that we can monetize at higher rates? And do we get to a critical mass where we're now becoming, you know, big enough to really command the advertising dollars, start to improve the technology to then have better targeting, which brings in more dollars and all of sort of the, the, the economics you can imagine you would think of from a just simply how much does it cost to bring in the content and how much can we grow advertising over time? And then there's the other the leg of that stool, um, to use the same analogy over and over again, um, <laughs> which is, you know, how much is it adding to incremental user growth? How much is it helping with retention and churn? And that's the stuff where we are um, less refined but getting much better at sort of understanding each piece of content, how many new users we think it can bring in, will bring in. Are those users sticking around? Are they doing more stuff? Can we then serve them additional podcast content that keeps them around even more, that makes them come back even more, that makes them even more engaged? We feel good about that, but that's the part we're, we're going to continue to, to build out and, and work on. So you know, it sounds like you guys have a bit of a bias. I don't want to put words in your mouth towards pod, uh, exclusivity. If we think about 2025 or whatever year you want to pick, you think you'll see or we'll see more of the podcasting content be exclusive on Spotify than say we see today? I think so. Okay. Makes sense. Let's talk about advertising. I want to include podcasting in this conversation. Um, you guys uh, also gave updated revenue guidance, 20% um, plus long-term, uh, which I think is actually above consensus as, as we look into next year. Is advertising really, uh, or not, you know, non-subscription music revenue kind of the key to the, to the sustainability of that number over time? Um, I think it's definitely going to be a driver. We, we hope it will be a driver. Um, I think we've we've talked about it that it's you know ten percent of revenue right now. My expectation is in you know five plus years it should be a, a decent amount more than ten percent of our revenue moving forward. Um, I think as we add more content to the platform, as we talk about more originals, more exclusives, as we now have this Spotify uh, audience network that we're able to actually have an even more inventory on the platform, target better with tools like SAI. I think we actually have a believe we have a huge opportunity to really grow the audio ecosystem to really grow. Um, and prove out monetization and targeting and all the things. And if you think about it, you go back to, to Q4, what we said was that 
you know, we were inventory constrained, not demand constrained. Because I think we feel like we're being doing a better job at providing a value that advertisers want. So now when you think about having more originals as exclu and exclusives, when you think about having the ability for um, anchor podcasters, you know, podcasters using anchor tools to have access to that ecosystem, and then Megaphone as well, you're now opening up all of this inventory to SAI um, uh, and that technology. And we think over time will help us grow that network uh, and grow advertising. And so we feel good about it. And then, you know, on top of it is, you know, as podcasting grows, you know, right now we're selling, um, you know, advertising across all of our users, um, including premium users. So it's an even wider or, or bigger moat of potential um, audience for advertisers. Any help in thinking about the materiality of the inventory expansion of SAI from some of the things you announced last week? It's hard for us, again, outside to sort of understand how big these things are. Yeah, I, it's it's tough to know right now, but I think we we are very optimistic about it. So, um, you know, it's, it's something like 80 percent. I might be butchering this number, so I'll correct that if I'm wrong. But of all of our new podcasts are coming on via the Anchor platform, um, and so you know, having that in the ecosystem will be great. Um, and then adding the megaphone inventory as well, <laughs> you know, it's it's a lot of inventory. We'll see. As I said, um, uh, you know, we're gonna have to integrate the technology in there. We're gonna have to sell in a different way. But I think we feel good about the opportunity in front of us, again, particularly where how we ended, you know, kind of Q4. Okay. So the, the demand is there, I guess, is the is the key point. It, it, again, yes, it has been, yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's shift to um, marketplace and the label relationship. So you've gotten – we're not talking about label renewals on this call, which is a nice change from prior conversations. Um, but you, you guys have continued to announce more um, marketplace products, I guess, for lack of a better description. So marquee is something that people, I think, know a decent amount about. Discovery mode is still sort of in beta. Um, can you just tell us where you guys are on the marketplace development plan? And you mentioned you're going to keep growing the financial benefits of it. But, um, you know, some of these products are, as I'm sure you know, Paul, kind of controversial in yeah. the music business. <laughs> um, so can you just give us a sense of the buy-in you're seeing from the, the label and artist community? Yeah, I mean, I think to your point, we've, we've seen and been able to prove out that both Marquee um, and Discovery Mode are, are additive in terms of the audience you get. Um, I think we're, we're optimistic about Discovery Mode because there is no upfront investment from somebody who wants to participate in Discovery Mode. If we don't drive incremental streams, there's going to be no uh, – there's no going to be cost. And if we do drive incremental streams, you know, even though the royalty rate might be on a, on a, um, on a Discovery Mode rate versus a standard rate – um, if we're able to up your streams by by thirty percent, you're going to make a lot more money uh, as an artist. And so we think it's a it's a win win opportunity. Um, we feel good about the uplift we've had there already. And then if you take a step back and think about marketplace in general, you know we talked about growing marketplace um, at least fifty percent in 2020, and I think we've said publicly now that we grew faster than fifty percent uh, in 2020, and we expect to have significant growth in marketplace contribution to profit in 2021 as well. So uh, we do feel good about the tools. Um, we think that there are things that will be additive to the ecosystem. They'll be good for labels, good for, for artists and creators, um, and will help more and more artists actually get discovered and, and more and more music um, you know, be heard. Okay. Makes sense. Let's talk uh, lastly here in our last few minutes just about uh, back to gross margins, obviously a big debate on the stock. You guys gave new long-term guidance, but in the, in the nearer term, you've guided to sort of flat to, I think, slightly down gross margins. Um, and the label deals are now behind you, uh, as we talked about before. So maybe you could just tell us a little bit about the puts and takes in 21 that um, that despite what should be a very strong advertising year, certainly our expectation, uh, you're, you're not seeing gross margin expansion in 21. Yeah, I would say um, there's really kind of three main buckets, right? So you think about the overall music bucket, 
think about marketplaces and you think about, um, you know, podcasts. And the, the problem is some of the, the marketplace and music and royalties all sort of get jumbled together in terms of when you think about deals. There's, there's so much that goes into these label deals, um, a lot more than just a simple, you know, headline rate. Um, but the way I think about it is, you know, in general, um, marketplace, you know, is additive and, and, and would be additive in, in 21. We're going to continue to invest on the podcasting side and the content side. And while we do think podcast advertising <coughs> will grow, um, right now the rate of growth on the, on the content cost side is still outstripping the rate of growth on the advertising side. Again, we think it's, it, it's going to start to narrow, you know, when we start to see that inflection point, whether it's one year, three years, or five years. I think some of that will depend on all the things we talked about earlier on in this conversation is all the benefits we're seeing, how much content do we need to have, um, where do we need to have it by vertical, by geography, how much do we need to own, how much do we need to license, how much is it just going to be fine that it's kind of on, on everyone's platform. We're just going to do a better job of serving it up and, and giving you discoverability on that. So um, I think there's a lots and puts and takes in there, but for the most part, you can think about, you know, 2021 is that sort of dynamic of marketplace a little bit better um, and, and podcasts a little bit of a drag. Okay. Anything on the royalty rate front? I know we've got the CRB uh, related pressures from a, a long time ago um, rate setting process, which is actually, I think, in the process of still being appealed in the courts. It, it is still being appealed. We are, um, you know, accruing at the rates from, you know, prior to the appeal because we have no other basis right now. And so, um, as we did talk about, we're kind of in year four of the initial five-year CRB. So that is a, it is a modest headwind on the on the publishing side in the U.S. based on the CRB rates. But you know. That's something we've identified, you know, when, when the rates went into effect. Okay. All right. Well, we're, we're pretty much out of time. Um, any uh, uh, last comments, including when we might be able to get the hi-fi tier? That's a, that's a big question we're getting from the investment community. <laughs> yeah, nothing, nothing to announce on that one yet, but, you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully in the not-too-distant future. Uh, I'm excited about it myself, so hopefully it's coming. Okay. All right. Well, listen, Paul, it's great to see you. Thank you for uh, your time this afternoon, everybody. Thanks for joining us, and uh, enjoy the rest of the conference. Thanks, Ben. Hopefully next year we'll be in person. Absolutely.